Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thank you so much for joining me. Another great one for you this week. I am interviewing Richard Hayduck. Now, Richard, he is an author. Uh, we're going to talk about his first book, um, the one that's coming out very, very soon. Uh, it's called Shifting Gears. And Shifting Gears is a collection of 50 stories from baby boomers and retirees, people who you know, have lived a, an active life and are keeping, keeping it going. Um, so we're going to talk about you know, a, a really a, a wide variety of stories. Some people went and climbed mountains, some, you know, diagnosed with cancer and then opened up a a cancer center um, through donations, people who have, you know, done drum circles and dancing classes, just a a wide variety. And uh, I think that you, you know, regardless of whether you're uh, a boomer or whether you're close to retirement yourself or whether you're just starting your career and uh, just like to hear interesting stories, I think, uh, you know, this is a great one for, for everyone really inspiring words that uh, Richard shares with us, inspiring through telling his own story of why he wrote the book and, and uh, you know, what, what comes in, in the next chapter of his life. I, I think that he, you know, qualifies as, as someone who could be in the book as well. I know that uh, he's had an, an active career himself. Um, so it really is going to, to be a, an inspiring podcast for for all i think that everyone can can gain from these stories whether you're you're young or old so to speak so without further ado here is my interview with richard hayduck i'm here today with richard hayduck richard how are you well jackson how are you I'm doing well. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the main reason we're talking today is because uh, we want to talk a little bit about your book, Shifting Gears, um, where you talk to quite a few retirees that are doing some really amazing things. Um, You're going to kind of highlight their stories. But before we get to that, if if we could, uh, let's just talk a little bit about your story, I guess, before you you wrote the book and uh, and what inspired you to to write it. Okay. Great question. So, I was in the life sciences business all my life and have recently kind of phased into retirement. Um, And the thing that was kind of weird, when I was seven years old, I was sure I wanted to be an author. Um, And it was like, everybody would say, oh no, don't you want to be a fireman or a test pilot or something? No, I want to be an author. And so I started writing. Um, And every day I'd write another story um, and they were all at least some weird sci-fi fantasy thing. They were never longer than a page. And I was getting encouragement from everybody around me. Uh, and then after about a year, I said, no, wait a minute. There's more fun stuff than this. I'm going to go play basketball or do something else. And so I stopped. 65 years later, I picked up this vision of being an author. Um, and there's a little bit of a story around that. I didn't set out to be an author. I was retiring. I was talking to a lot of buddies of mine, uh, one guy in particular, who I'd known for a really long time. And he said, did you know I was in the Senior Olympics? And I said, I've known you for years. I didn't know you were in the Senior Olympics. He says, yeah, and I won a medal. 
And I, I said, well, tell me the story. And he went on, he told me this fascinating story about how, what motivated him to do it and how he trained for it and all that. And in his seventies was in the senior Olympics. Um, and then kind of almost in a random way, I'd be talking with other people who were in retirement and the same thing would happen. Somebody would tell me something that I was just astonished by and interested by. And what was even more fascinating to me was how much, and I'd tell them the stories of some other people that I had heard from, and they'd say, that's really interesting. What are you doing? And at one point, I, you can appreciate this, Jackson, I just said, you know, I think there's a book here. I think yeah. I can do this. Uh, so 65 years later, I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go start finding out if there's a book here. Yeah, so I think it's kind of interesting. Obviously, your book really is centered around finding really interesting stories about, um, I guess, people in retirement doing amazing things. Uh, and then you you kind of became a subject of your own book, really, because, I mean, you are in retirement and, you know, to, to become an author at, I believe, 72, yes. that's, I mean, that's quite the accomplishment as well. Well, I never set out to do that, but I, I feel really good about it. Um, yeah. There were, there were two things that kept, kept me kind of in the middle of all this. And one was, I said, this is a retirement project. I'm only going to do this if it's fun. I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep going if it's miserable. Um, and then the second thing I said was, I think there's some great stories out there, but I've got to confirm that. And as long as the great stories were coming, I thought, yeah, this will be a book that is full of stories that need to be told. Yeah. And when I've, when I've talked to authors in the past, I mean, I don't know whether this, I assume this is your, is this your first yes, book? Yes, it is. Yeah. So when I've talked to authors in the past, they say that first book, that's when it, it, it there, you know, there's no pressure, there's no deadlines and all those things. It really is truly what they're passionate about, what, you know, what they're doing because it's fun to them. Then when they continue on, that's when it starts getting where now there's a deadline. So I, I do think, you know, it, it speaks to a lot of people to say you did it because you're having a good time. And when, when you weren't, um, you, you, you weren't going to do it anymore. And I would assume that if another book does ever come, it's going to be because you, you find something else that you're passionate about and not because, you know, someone's telling you you've got to write another book. Well, I, you know, I haven't really made the decision about our next book yet, but there, there's two things that are happening. The people that I interviewed, there's almost a sequel on them. You know, they were doing something and then life changed. And uh, the sequel is, is in some ways as interesting as the original story. Um, and, and then the other thing is, you know, once I stopped interviewing, the people kept showing up and, I, and I'd hear these stories. I said, oh, God, I wish I could have had that one. And I wish I could have had that one. There's such a richness, Jackson, of stories of people doing amazing things or in some cases kind of routine things but that they're just loving doing it. Um, one, one of my favorite uh, is, a, is a group of ladies that in their 70s decided they were all gonna play ukulele. Um, mm -hmm. And you know they learned three or four chords and they started uh, you know, once a month getting together and singing and playing ukulele and they got into certain songs that they loved and all that. And it just really made a difference to their retirement. It just was really important to them and, and joyful. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't amazing except to them. And that's important. I thought, I thought that was just a, 
an, an enlightening story because it was so important to them. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, that the interviews and the subjects kept coming in even after the book was done. How did you, how did you find, you know, your, your subjects for the book? Did you, I mean, I assume you didn't just put out a classified ad. So I do wonder how you <laughs> find all these people. Uh, well, I would say primarily networking. So I would interview someone and then I'd say, who else should I talk to? Mm. Um, one of the people I talked to gave me three of the just spectacular stories in the book all came by way of one person. Mm. Um, I did do some, some what, what I'd call cold calling too. I, I wanted to get an, an Alaska story. What's it like to retire in Alaska? And I didn't know, I don't know anybody in Alaska. I don't know anybody who knows anybody in Alaska, but I put it on Craigslist. Um, mm. And this delightful guy kind of showed up and he says, oh, I'd love you to tell you this story. I want, to, I want Alaska to be in your book. Um, so there was some of that, but a, a lot of the things where, um, you know, I wanted to get a story from Harlem. And so I ran on Craigslist in Harlem for, for a couple of times and I just got nothing. I got no replies. Um, so it was mostly networking, but a little bit of, of proactive stuff. And I, I continued, I had the, as I interviewed people, I would update them. I had like a group email that I would send out to them. And I would say, um, here's how the book's coming along. It's been great fun. Got some great stories. Um, I'm kind of looking for somebody that's got these kinds of characteristics or this kind of story. Um, and friends would, again, refer uh, people that, that met certain um, geographic criteria was a big part of that. Yeah. So, you, you know, you talked about how you weren't able to get all the stories in the book and, and that you, you know, kind of networked around. I guess the, the question I would have, which is probably a, a tough one, how did you manage, you know, obviously everyone loves to talk about themselves. How did you manage when you, when you had to tell somebody, I'm not exactly sure we're going to be able to add this one in the book? I haven't had the courage to do that yet, Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get, so the, uh, some people are going to find out when that book comes out. But They're going to come out pretty soon. I think I've kind of been hinting to some of them, but um, <laughs> it, the hardest part of the book was actually narrowing it down. That's a good problem uh, to have. It's a nice problem to have, um, but it was a tough problem. Um, so at the end of the first round of interviews, I had transcripts of all that. I had 800 pages of transcripts mm. and I thought, you know, I'm a first time author, maybe an 800 page book. That'll go real well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I, I retained actually a professional editor and I said, help me through this. And um, the biggest thing we did was just take similar stories and delete them. Mm. You know, if, if it was kind of like this or kind of like that, that was an easy way to, to, to uh, sort them down. Um, and then the second thing was to say several of the people had three or four things that were interesting. And I just said, I, you know, I'm not doing three or four on one person. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll say, what's the finest of those three or four stories. And, and so we got it down to a reasonable length book. I think it's 260 pages, which, you know, for a first time author and for a book of this sort, I think that's, that's probably about what it should be, but that was painful. Um, yeah. I, I assume so. Yeah. So how did you, when you did these interviews, um, I mean, were you recording and then went back and decided, you know, what to type up or were you ferociously writing all these things down or how did that process work? So um, I 
recorded. Uh, so I, my first question was always, how would you describe this stage of your life? And then my goal after that was to shut up and listen mm -hmm. and to just clarify. I didn't lead the witness. I, I didn't do, you know, the, the way the CNN interviewers do where they give you a 10 minute question and a 30 second answer. Um, all of my questions were things like, oh, really? Oh, why is that? How'd that make you feel? Um, and then let them talk. And then I had a transcription service that, you know, typed it all out for me. Um, and then I would edit it down to what I thought was, was sensible. Um, and the editing process, because I made it so conversational, um, people bounced all around. Yeah. And, and some of those transcripts was like, oh, yeah, but let me, that other story, I want to tell you some more about that or this, this or that. And, and, and so the, the process of getting that down to a sensible single story um, was, um, at times it was really fun because there was so much content. At times it was just kind of like, oh, man, there's so much here. How do I get it narrowed down? Yeah, I would assume when it comes to people talking about themselves and, and you just giving them such an open-ended, uh, if you would have not edited it down, we wouldn't have been talking about 800 pages. We've been talking about 10,000 pages. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So, so to answer your earlier question, um, in the acknowledgments section of the book, um, I, I did my kind of apology and mea culpa. I said I, I had all of this copy. I apologize for those of you who interviewed that didn't get in the book or you got in the book and your favorite part of your story didn't get in the book. Um, but I hope you enjoy the book in total. And, and here's how I made that, those decisions. Um, and I don't think anybody's going to get too bent out of shape. I maybe, but um, I, I don't think so. I, I think you did it as diplomatically as you could. So I, I think hopefully, fingers crossed, everything everything goes well and you don't get, you know, some some crazy phone calls. <laughs> well, one of the people I interviewed was actually a journalist and she said, you will get some crazy phone calls. Well, yeah, she you said, probably don't, will. <laughs> don't, don't assume that it's zero and then don't take it too seriously when you do get one. Yeah. Um, but the other thing, Jackson, I, I feel like this is a group of friends now, the people who were complete strangers we've now interacted every six weeks or so I would send them an update. In some cases I'd have phone calls with them. In other cases, I'd call them to clarify something in the interview. Um, and I feel really close to these people. I, now maybe they're going to read their story and say, yeah, you're my buddy, but not anymore. Um, but I don't think so. I think, I think for the most part, I'll get the benefit of the doubt and they know I'm trying to be fair. All right. All right. So if we, if we could, you know, we've talked a lot about the process of writing the books. I know that you, you, know, you kind of laid out before we, before we started this interview, a few that, that you think really kind of highlights the gist of the book. Um, so if we could, let's just kind of talk about those, those couple that you, you highlighted. So you, you said that you have a good one um, that, that talks about a sense of purpose in retirement. If you could, let's, let's talk about that. This was um a really um, inspiring story. This, this guy, uh, at about the same time that he retired, was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and that's a sure way to mess up your retirement. And, you know, and he didn't know how it was going to turn out and all that. Um, he was being treated at a cancer center. And about halfway through his treatment, he said to someone, hey, how can I help you? What, what can I do to help what you do here? And he said, I knew what the answer would be, write me a check. And, and they didn't say that. They said, no, we need a cancer house in this community 
so that when people are treated for cancer or their families are in town with them, they have a place to economically stay so that it, it's, not a, it's not something that, that being, that you don't have to be rich to be treated for cancer in this town. You should be able to treat everybody. And he thought about that and talked with some of the people involved and um, pretty soon they had recruited him to lead the effort. Um, and that effort involved getting the hospital to agree to certain conditions, getting the land, getting the getting uh, building permits, um, getting the fundraising, um, and uh, he succeeded. They raised over $4 million. They built this cancer house. They fundamentally changed the way treatment is done in that cancer center so because people can now uh, stay in a, in a place that's affordable uh, or free if they need it. Um, and he said, you know, I worked for 40 years in my life. I accomplished some stuff I'm very proud of. There's nothing I'm more proud of than that cancer house that we built. And I'm nothing, nothing that I'm more proud of, which was organizing the community around this effort. Um, and, and he said, and I had a ball. He says, I was having so much fun. He says, some of the stuff was really difficult, but because it was a retirement project, I looked at it in a different way. And because it was giving back, I looked at it in a different way. Um, and, and he said, um, you know, it was just, it was just a great experience. Um, he, he told one story that I, I kind of enjoyed. They had a lot of people that were helping with the fundraising who had never done fundraising before. And they said to him, well, what happens when I go in and ask somebody for a $50,000 donation? Aren't they going to throw me out the door? And he just smiled and he laughed and he says, you're not going in and asking for 50,000. You're going to go in and ask for a hundred thousand right. and then come out with 50,000. Yeah. <laughs> and they all kind of laughed and they all kind of giggled. They said, we can't do that. And he says, just go try it a couple of times and then we'll get back together and we'll have a beer together and we'll see how we're doing. And, and pretty soon everybody was out there and, and success stories were breeding success stories. And, uh, and they actually oversubscribed the amount of money they, they needed. So, oh, yeah. um, so it was a neat story. And for him, it was just transformational in terms of, you know, he thought he was going to play a little golf in retirement. He thought he was going to do a little of this, a little of that. He got stuck into this thing and he just said, this changed my life um, and changed the life of people around him. Yeah, well, I work in, in higher education, so I know all about institutional advancements, which is what, which is what we call fundraising. And yeah, it's always ask for more than what, what you need and then, you know, get, get what you really were, were what you were expecting all along. So that, that's huge. Right, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so you, you said at the beginning of his story that he was diagnosed with cancer as well, correct? Yes. So I, I feel like, I mean, I don't know how he's doing now, but I would, I would feel like having that, you know, that purpose and that passion that probably helped him in his illness as well. Yeah. There's a very happy ending on, on that. He went into complete remission. He, oh, he chose a set of treatment alternatives that they gave him different choices. He says, I, I picked the right choice. I'm in total remission. Um, and, and he said, um, um, that side of it uh, has been just, just superb. So. Yeah, it actually, you know, it's as weird as it sounds, his, his diagnosis, given that it was a happy ending, is probably a, a, a blessing for a lot of people who now have that benefit of that cancer house. 
Yes, exactly. He, I mean, this was not something he had ever imagined that he would do in his retirement. Um, uh, and he did a lot of good in the community and, and um, you know, that, that's been, been really neat for them. Very much so. So yeah, so, let's, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, so another, shall we move on to another story? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the next story that, that you had highlighted was a story that caused you to think about uh, things that you had not considered before. So you get old and you start, you know, seeing, you know, how many days you have left, what, what's, what's going to happen here. And for myself and most of the people I hang out with, we just pretend that doesn't exist. We just uh, ignore that. Yeah. Um, this group of five girlfriends decided that wasn't the way they were going to do it. They, they formed a discussion group um, to talk about end of life issues. Um, and they named the group Owls, which is old, wise, learning still. Um, and these five ladies who have known each other all their lives, they're lifelong friends. They have no secrets from anybody. They have candor and friendship and love between themselves. And once a month they get together and they have a topic and they take turns who brings the topic. Um, and, and they're all end of life related. They're not all dying related, but they're all end of life related. You know, how are you getting by with, with, you know, kind of knees that don't work so well when you're out there trying to play tennis, you know, so they might have a, a, a month where they talk about, you know, kind of physical conditioning stuff. Um, they might talk about uh, their changing family relationships. Um, their kids are, are all grown. They've all, you know, if they have grandkids, uh, you know, those kids are, are getting uh, up in years too. So they talk about those kinds of things, but they also talk about the really hard to talk about stuff. Um, and that's death and dying. And, and what do you want your last wishes to be? Where do you, where do you want to die? Um, what do you want the, how do you want your family to respond to that? Um, what's interesting is they each come from a somewhat uh, different, not, I, I wouldn't say they're all completely different, but they all have a somewhat different spiritual background. Um, there's, there's one lady who has a strong orientation towards Buddhist and Buddhist meditation practice and that sort of thing. And that gives her a certain peacefulness that she then shares with the group. Uh, there's, there's some that are more traditional Catholic or Protestant kinds of things. And they each bring those viewpoints, but their friendship is what guides all of this. It's them talking to each other. They're not trying to convince them of, you know, different things. They're just trying to share this. Um, what was fascinating to me was that I've now got my antenna up. And when I hear people talking about different things, are they, are they coming to terms with the fact that, you know, if you're in your 60s or 70s or even your 80s, you know, your days are numbered. Um, and, and how do you think about that? You just ignore that and say, yeah, it happens when it happens. Um, and, and maybe that's the right answer for a lot of people. Um, for other people, you know, being more proactive, being more, uh, more of a planner. Um, um, but what I'm, what I'm finding is that denial is the most common retirement approach to end of life. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to live forever. Um, and even when people start getting sick, they still think they're going to make it through and, and that sort of thing. So it, it, it's really, um, 
it gets your brain turning in a different way. Um, and you're open to more thought processes. And, and I just, I, I, I so admired when I talked to these ladies, I so admired how they had kind of faced up to everything. Um, there was not, they, they, they gave themselves no place to hide. They said, we're going to talk about everything. Um, uh, and they did. And, and, and they loved this group and they loved the, uh, you know, uh, probably the word peace is probably part of it. They're more, they're more peaceful about what they know is now inevitable. And there's no denial in the group. They're, they're absolutely saying, you know, all things come to an end. Um, so that, that's been, that's been neat to see. And I hope that the book captures that the essence of, of the specialness of what they've done. Um, some of it's, you know, as an interviewer, sometimes you get, you, you hear more than, than when you put it onto a page, but I think, I think it's, it's well captured. Um, but, but that's one of the highlights of the book, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's interesting to, to set up that group that I guess is just talking about the, you know, the hard to talk about areas. Um, the thing that, that I, I think is good about that group would be that, you know, obviously it's talking about the hard, the hard to talk about areas, the, the end of life areas, but it does sound like they're still talking about, you know, life areas too, and making the most out of the time that that's left, not just, you know, being consumed with, with death. I don't know have you, if you've ever seen, um, you know, the, the movie on Golden Pond and, and, oh, Norm, yeah. and Norman Thayer, but, but what I wouldn't want to happen is, you know, just to create a, a Thayer support group where they're, he's, he's so consumed with death that they just get together all the time and, and talk nothing about, you know, when, all right, when's it going to happen? So. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I think actually one of the themes of the book, I think that came out through several of the interviews is people saying, I, I'm going to pick up the pace here. Um, I'm going to do stuff I've always wanted to do and I'm going to get on with it. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna wait for a bunch of stuff. Um, I might be a couch potato, or I might might watch a, a football game, or something like that. But I'm gonna have some other thing that that I've always wanted to do. Um, and uh, uh, I think just one other kind of side comment. Um, COVID has has thrown a monkey wrench into a lot of this. Mm. People had they were in the middle of doing some really cool things. And some of those things disappeared. Um, and I've, I've, I've written a little bit about, you have two risks, not one. You have risk number one, which is, you know, we're all old. We all have pre-existing conditions. We all have these vulnerabilities medically, and we got to be careful and, and do the right things. But the, the one we don't talk about is our clock is ticking. We, we can't kind of take a year off of retirement because that's a year lost. We may not have that many years left. So get on with it and do something. Um, one of the guys that I interviewed had this really spectacular retirement plan of things he was going to do. And I talked to him just the other day and he said, well, that plan got canceled. But you know what? I am now working on genealogy of my family. Um, and it's been fascinating. He says, I never knew it was that interesting. I never knew I had a family that was had that much stuff going on. And he said, I never would have done this except for COVID. And I was kind of stuck in the house and I was saying, what can I do sitting around the house that, that I'll feel good about? 
and he's now stuck into the genealogy. And I think I got kind of a sense from him that the genealogy may be more fun for him than what he was going to do mm. um, uh, because, because it revealed so much about his family and his background. Um, so I think, I think there's this pressure to say, manage the fact that the clock is ticking as well as the fact that you don't want to get infected and find some way to navigate a kind of a new retirement, kind of a second shot at retirement. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a member of my family who in his retirement got huge into genealogy and actually wrote two books about both his mother and his father's side of the family. And I mean, that's, it's a cherished part of our family to have all that background. So that's a huge thing that, 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 uh, the genealogy thing. I, I, it's a cool thing for sure. Um, so is, that, is that your next interview? You got to interview him next? <laughs> I'm not, no, <laughs> that's, that's not the next one. Um, but you know, you were talking about, about clocks ticking and, you know, getting on with it. So I think that kind of leads into your next story about getting on with it and being active in retirement and physically active. Active. Uh, I know you had a story about a role model uh, that was physically active. Yeah, and, and this was actually one of my earlier interviews, um, and and convinced me that this book needs to be out there to just to tell her story. This lady had two knee replacements. She had two hip replacements. She was on a cane for three years, hobbling around, and 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 impatient through the whole thing. Once she recovered from the final hip surgery, she says, I got to go do something big. I, I will never be in better condition than I am now. I'm in my 70s. I have had these four surgeries. You know what? I'm going to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro, the highest at, uh, mountain in Africa, over 19,000 feet tall. It's a six-day climb. And she says, I'm going to go do that. And she got her boyfriend and they said, let's go do that. And her girlfriends and her buddies said, you're crazy lady. <laughs> you, you couldn't have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro before you had all this other stuff. She says, you don't understand. I'm going to do this. Uh, and she just showed a grit and a determination and, and it's a tough climb too. It's, uh, um, I won't, I won't give the ending away on this one. Um, but I think the, the giant message is if you're sitting around and saying, I wonder if I can do something, listen to the story of her. And, and she set out to do something that was just a monumental task. Um, and, and one that, you know, strong, healthy 20 year olds would have a hard time doing. Uh, oh, absolutely. Um, but, but she, uh, her determination and her, her grit and her, her belief that she had to do it now, uh, that she couldn't wait. Um, uh, and I interviewed her first right before she went. And I said, no, no, we're not doing that. I said, I said, let's, let's have this interview after you're back. Uh, and, uh, and we did, and it was, it was really great fun. So. That is, that is an amazing story for sure. So, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, what we can gain from, from her story, but obviously you've, you have all of these stories. What is kind of an overarching, um, you know, message or inspiration that you gained from, from creating this book? I think it's, I, th I think it's an important question. And I think every reader may take away something different from that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the early reviewers of the book said said the book goes from the exotic to the mundane, and I took that as a great compliment because I didn't want everybody climbing Mount Kilimanjaro because you know the people say well yeah I'm not doing that yeah um, but the lady lady with the ukulele club anybody can do that um, 100%. I'm not anybody but most people can do that yeah. so I think I think the kind of answer number one is um, different strokes for different folks I think everybody can find their place and it, and it will be different in each case. Um, uh, it may be some leisure activity. It may be some volunteer activity. It may be some spiritual reawakening. It, it, it may be some interesting work kinds of things to do where, where you do work that's more like a hobby, but you just get paid for it. Um, so everybody had a different formula for that. And I think that was important. I think the other part is something that this stage of life has a different a different metric, a different way of looking at it. Um, one of the one of the phrases I made up is relaxed intensity. Um, the guy that did this cancer center was just he was just really cool about it. Um, he was always relaxed. He was always having a good time, but he got it done. Um, and he had this intensity, but he never got an ulcer over it. And earlier in your career, for most of the people that I talked to, they had the intensity, but the relaxed part, it, it wasn't really there. And retirement brings a freedom. Uh, it makes it more like a hobby, even though it may be something way more consequential than a hobby. And so the ability to kind of relax about that and stay cool about it and yet still accomplish some really, really major things. Um, The other part, um, and this applied to a fairly large number of people, and and that is kind of the multitasking part of it. You know, when you're working, you kind of have a job and that's what you do. And your life builds around that. And then you have a family that, that builds around that, but it's a, it's, it's a fairly predictable, narrow set of things, um, even with a very, very interesting job. In retirement, there's people that are just dabbling in a lot of different stuff. Um, and that's because they can. Um, one lady was saying, I feel like I should be really focused on one thing, but I'm having so much fun being unfocused. <laughs> I do this on Monday and I do that on Tuesday. And boy, that's kind of cool. Uh, she yeah. said, but I, but she said, I don't feel right about it. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel normal to me. Uh-huh. And, and I said, well, you know, there's a whole lot of other people in this book that had the same sort of multitasking, doing things in parallel with each other. Um, and, uh, and, it, and I think it goes with the territory. You don't have to focus on one thing. Um, you can do, you can do several things. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I think that the, it, everything that, that you're saying is definitely powerful when it comes to uh, why this book would be a, a good, a good one for people to read. Uh, what, what you said, you know, the exotic to mundane, I think that's, an, that's important because, you know, I'm sure there, there's some retirees that would look at this book and if it was nothing but stories about people climbing, you know, Kilimanjaro and winning gold medals, they'd be like, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to read this book, but you know, right. like, 
for instance, you know, my, my grandmother in retirement, she started um, art, sketching and painting and stuff like that. Not necessarily super, you know, physically straining, but something that has kept her, you know, very occupied and, and sharp and, and a great, a great thing. She's actually very, very good at it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's a big thing to find something that you're passionate about, regardless of what that is. Um, so that, that kind of, you know, leads to the next question. We talked about why it's, it's a great book for um, those who are in retirement, but do you think that this book transcends just retirees? What, uh, what can people gain from it that, that maybe aren't at that stage yet? I mean, obviously this is a, an, an audio uh, podcast and not a, a visual one, but you know, we're, we're just a couple years apart. So what do you, what do you think that I would, would gain from reading this book? Well, I think it's a, it's a preview of coming attractions. I think, you know, people like to, um, there's a lot of people that I've, I've run into subsequent to writing the book who are saying, when should I retire? Um, and they say, I'm sick of my job. And my answer to them is, well, what are you going to? What, what is your passion that you've always wanted to do? Um, and, and if you can figure out the finances of this, that decision should be driven by what do you want to go to? So, so Jackson, for a guy like you, you can say, you know what, here's something I, I really could enjoy doing. Um, and, and, and maybe I could even make a few bucks at it and maybe I'd, I'd be financially okay to do that. Um, um, just one other story. I, <laughs> one of my favorites, um, this guy, uh, decided he wanted to drive Uber. And, and he said, oh, and I want to tell you about it. It's a great story. And my first reaction was, that sounds really boring. I, there's nothing there. Um, and <laughs> there is something there with this guy. He said, um, I do it economically because it, it allows me to take a nicer vacation. It allows me to go out for dinner at night. He says, I don't make a lot of money, but I make, make a little bit of money. He said, but there's two things about it that give me a, a, a pleasure that, that has been monumental for me. Uh, he said, first, when someone gets in my car, I get to tell them a story or a joke. And that's kind of fun. It's fun to tell people a story. And then they leave and the next person comes in. I get to tell them the same story over again. <laughs> and he said, I, you know, normally you bore people if you keep telling the same stories over and again. When you're an Uber driver, you can keep telling the same stories over and over again and just that's, have a ball. <laughs> that's like a dream for some, some people, right? Just to, yeah, get to continue yeah. and, to, and, over and over. Yeah, and he loves it. And I, presumably he's gotten really good at his storytelling um, because he's got, had a lot of practice. And then he said the other thing, and he said, this one's, this one's a little more complex, but he said, you know, you'd be driving down the street and you'll get a, you'll get a very pretty girl as a, as a passenger. And, and he says, I don't get to talk to pretty girls. You know, I, he says, I'm an old guy. They don't, they ignore me. But when they're in my thing, I get to tell them funny stories and we laugh and laugh at all. He says, but here's the, here's the, the hard part. I go home and I tell my wife about it and any fairs that I've had with a pretty girl, I have to give them to her. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it's maybe turned into that he's not seen quite as many pretty girls as as real so he can keep the, keep the money that's right exactly exactly <laughs> that's 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 but funny I, but i think i think the, the kind of the overall message here is that people will take from this 
what they want to take from the book. Um, I refused to be prescriptive. I refused to say, here's the lessons that you will learn from this book. Read the story. If it, if it, if it rings valuable to you, fine. If it doesn't, go on to the next one. Um, and nobody's going to read this book and, and connect to all the stories. Um, but nobody's going to read the book and not connect to quite a few. Um, yeah. uh, it's from the exotic to the mundane. Yeah, and when it comes to a, I guess a, a collection of stories, I think that's that's probably the the point to not create some kind of big overarching message that you're trying to get people to to get. A lot of people will, you know, grab messages that maybe you didn't even think of yourself that that they're gaining from it. So I think that's a, a powerful thing to do, not not to go into it with uh, you know a, a purpose or what you're trying to to teach people. Right, right. And there, there's, there's a place for books like that. And there's been a lot of them written about retirement, and a lot of other subjects. And, and, you know, and they're right for some people, but that isn't what this book is about. Absolutely. So if people are, are listening to this and, and are interested in hearing, you know, more in depth of the stories we talked about and, and a lot of other stories, where, uh, where can they pick up this book? So it's, it's on Amazon right now for pre-order uh, for the ebook. Um, the hardcover is still another week or so away from being available for pre-order and then it'll deliver on November 17th. Um, but if you want to kind of keep up with the flow of things and some of the, some of the other writing that I'm doing and blogging and some of that sort of thing, my website is Richard Hayduck, H-A-I-D-U-C-K.com. And that, um, allows uh, people to uh, kind of keep up with things. Um, I'm just in the next few days, I'll be um, people that sign up on the website will get access to a preview. We're going to put part of the epilogue uh, and make that accessible to them. So if they go to that website, they can, they can uh, get that um, for themselves. Very good. Very good. Well, I, I always kind of end by asking whether there's anything that, that we didn't cover that you wanted to make sure um, you, you know, the listeners heard um, but other than that, I've really appreciated speaking with you. Well, I think I'm, we've got about 45 more stories. Do you have another few hours we can talk? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I can tell people they should uh, pick up the, the book and, and, and read those 45 stories for sure. Yeah. yeah. Dexter, I, this has been fun. I, you're, you're a great interviewer and, and you really uh, drew out the stories very well here. That was nice. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate uh, you spending some time with me. Okay, glad to do it. And that was my interview with Richard Haydeck. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I hope one or all stories inspired you. Really great guy. A real pleasure to speak with. Um, do go check out that book, Shifting Gears. It's on Amazon right now. Uh, it came out November the 17th. Really cool um, stories. If if I can say, you know, just in some of the stories that he, he told me, um, if, you know, even half of them are as, as interesting as the ones that he mentioned, it's, it's going to make for a really good book. So do urge you to check that out. Um, love to have you back next week. So I urge you to, to continue listening and uh, we're sure to have some more interesting people on. Got a great lineup coming up. So if you would follow along subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast just to make sure that uh, you get some notification that uh, you know more are coming out normally they come out every wednesday and uh, you know great great to have you hope uh, hope 
you uh, enjoyed this one and and uh, I'll make sure to uh, continue bringing you content that uh, interesting, inspiring, sometimes makes you laugh. Uh, but thanks for being here. Take it away, Scott. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.